So why did Jonah run? When you read the Bible and you see something, it's okay to ask questions. Like that's, that's how you really begin to understand and, and learn. And when you read this story and you see the prophet of God is given a command by God to go to Nineveh and preach a message, and he goes the opposite way. That's the emphasis of Tarshish being said three times because they want you to know he's going the opposite way of Nineveh. Tarshish is kind of like, back then, it's kind of like what we have Timbuktu. He's just going the opposite way, as far away as you can get. He's going there. And you, you got to go, why? Why is he running from God? Why would the prophet of God disobey God's command and go the other way? Why would he, why would he do this? When he goes... When he gets on the boat, it's not like we travel today and he'll be back in a couple of days. He's getting on a boat that's going to, like, that journey's going to be months in the making. He's resigning his position as prophet. He's turning in his badge. Like, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, I'm leaving. And so the question is, why? And the first time you read the story of Jonah, you, you're asking these questions, you're trying to figure it out, but you can never read it the second time like you read it the first time, because you... As you go through the story, you find out why. But you're asking these questions, you're trying to make these guesses of why, why would he run, but you, you, can't, you can't go back and reread it that first time. I wish we could, it would be so good. But it's kind of like that. there was a movie that came out 2013-ish. Uh, it was one of those movies that didn't make a big splash, so you might not have heard of it. It's called Frozen. And the first time you watched Frozen, seemed like maybe a couple of you saw it, you watched it one way. But then the second, third, and 50th time your kids made you watch that show, like you couldn't watch it the same way again. Because the first time you think Hans is a good guy. Like, oh man, this guy's great, saving the day. And then you watch the movie and you realize Hans is a bad guy. And I'm sorry if I ruined that for you, but I said 2013, okay? 2013, you should have seen it by now. But the second time you watch it, you're like, no, Hans is not a good guy. Hannah, no, let it go. You don't need to, like, you need to move away from him. You can't ever watch it the same way. And the Jonah is the story where the first time you read it, you're like, why would he run? What, what, why would a prophet go the other way? And so then you start digging, you're like, okay, where's Nineveh? What is Nineveh? And Nineveh was the military capital, so to speak, of the Assyrian kingdom. And if you know anything about the Assyrians, they were the enemies of God's people. They were horrible enemies. They were wicked. They were evil. They were cruel. They would kill people. They would torture people. They, they were brutal enemies of God's people. They've done horrible things to Israel in the past, and they'll probably do horrible things in the future. Like, they're just a very, very wicked, evil people. And so you're like, oh, he didn't want to go because he's afraid. I mean, that keeps us from doing what God calls us to do a lot of times. We're just simply afraid. We're simply afraid of what people will say or what, what they might do to us or what they might say about us or how they'll treat us or how they'll reject us. We're just afraid a lot when we see God commanding us or leading us in a certain way. And so we're like, well, he's afraid if he goes in there and preaches a message to his enemies who are wicked and brutal and cruel that they'll kill him, that they'll hurt him. And if he's not afraid, then at least maybe he thinks this is never going to work. Man, why would they listen to me? They're the enemies. Like, they don't listen to us. They don't worship our God. They don't, they don't have any reason to care about a message from our God because they worship a different God. They, they're, they're pagans. They, they have no reason to listen to me. So why would I go preach a message when I know it's not going to work? If I go preach and they don't listen, then they're going to get mad and then they might hurt me. So fear of, of, that it's not going to work or just fear of his personal harm, like that all seems to be the reason why he runs from God. As you go through the story, we'll get to test that theory. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, said, go to Nineveh, verse 3, but Jonah rose 
and went another way. He's going the opposite direction. But verse 4 tells us that, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. This storm is so bad, the boat's about to just fall apart. They're not just going to sink. They're going to go down in pieces. Like, it's, it's a bad, bad, bad storm. <laughs> and so as you're following the story and you're trying to figure out what's going on, you see that Jonah's got on this boat. He's going to Tarshish, and God is still pursuing him. He's running from the Lord, but Lord, the Lord's not letting him go. God's, God's coming after him, and he comes after him by sending a storm. A storm so bad that the sailors who do this for a living, they're afraid for their lives. They're, they're calling out to their gods. They're trying to get relief. They're trying to get help from the storm. No, nothing's answering. They're like, wasn't there another guy on the boat? And they go down to the bottom of the boat, and they find Jonah. I don't even understand this, but he's asleep in the midst of the storm that the boat's about to fall apart. He's still sleeping, and they're like, what are you doing, you sleeper? Like what, you lazy bum, get up, pray to your God. We're praying to our gods and nothing's happened. Pray to your God. So they drag Jonah up to the top and they get around and they cast lots. Like, hey, we need to figure out who's the guy who messed this up for everybody. Who ruined it for everybody? Who's done something wrong here? So they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah. And they're like, who are you? Where are you from? What's your occupation? What's your story? What is going on? And he's like, hey, guys, I... I need to tell you, I'm a Hebrew, so I worship the one true and living God, the God who made the land and who made the sea, and um, I'm kind of running from him. And they're like, what? Why would you do this to us? Why, if your God made the sea, why would you run from him by getting in a boat, dummy? Like, this doesn't make sense at all. Why are you doing this? And they're like, well, what do we need to do? And he's like, uh, throw me overboard and then you'll be okay. These guys, who they don't have any reason to care about them, but they do. They care about them. They're like, we're not doing that. So they try to row the shore, and they don't even make it, they don't make it at all. There's not, not any progress at all. They realize this is a lost cause. They're going to have to resort to what Jonah said. And then they, they pray to God. They ask God, hey, please don't hold this against us. Um, deal with him, but please you know, be okay with us. And then they throw him overboard. He sinks into the sea, and the, the whole storm stops immediately, which... There's a whole different reaction on the boat. Like they saw this whole thing go down and then they, they make vows to God and they, like, they're, they're kind of affected probably for the rest of their lives by that. And Jonah sinks down into the sea. In verse 17 of chapter 1 it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And now this is the part where we all go, really? <laughs> I mean, so many people look at this story and they're like, okay, did that really happen? I mean, is that even possible? It's so funny to me because we see all the other stories, all the other crazy things that God does. Like, he does amazing things all the time. But we're like, yeah, but no one could survive in the belly of a fish for three days. This is the one that makes us stop and think, oh, maybe there's a myth in here after all. It's just so weird. I mean, we kind of get bogged down over the fact that it says fish, and we think if it's a whale, and we know that in our world that whales are mammals, so it's fish, mammal, whatever. Like, we don't, we, we get bogged down to that. Well, the Bible's just using a very generic term for a creature that lives in the water, a fish. It's not really making a distinction between fish or mammal here. It could have been a whale. It could have been a great white shark. Could have been Leviathan. You want to like set yourself up for Halloween? Read Job chapter forty-one about that creature. Like he was pretty scary. Could have been him. Could have been. Could have been the biggest largemouth bass you ever saw swallow a man. I don't know what kind of fish it was. 
We got kids in the service, like Scott was saying, kids, I've already seen one great picture of this. I would love to see your pictures of what this fish looked like. Maybe, maybe draw me Jonah in the belly of the fish. Maybe draw me the fish. Maybe tell me what the fish was. I'd love to see what you think. We get so bogged down on this. When God has done all these amazing things, surely he can do this too. Jesus, and we'll see this later, he talks about Jonah being the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Gina, Jesus gives validity to this story, so there's no reason to discredit it just because we can't figure out how that might have happened. There's a lot of things in the Bible I can't figure out how that might have happened. But the story's not really about the fish. The story's not even really about Jonah. All the stories are ultimately about God, and all the stories teach us something about God. And this story starts by teaching us this, that God pursues us when we stray in order to restore us. God is not giving up on Jonah. God is not letting Jonah go. God's not letting Jonah run away. When he got on that boat and he's setting sail for Tarshish, he thought, I'm done. I'm away from God, and I'm away from God's people. Which when you run from God, you end up usually finding a place away from God and away from his people too. But he's, he thinks he's done, but God's not done. God sends a storm. God appointed a fish to swallow him. God's got a plan in all this. And here's, here's the truth that you need to grab a hold of, is that God pursues us when we run, when we stray, when we disobey. He pursues us, and sometimes he pursues us with discipline so that he can restore us. And that's so important because here's what we think. We know that we've messed up. We know that we've disobeyed. We know that we've run from God. And we think, man, he's coming to get me. He's going he's gonna to drop the hammer. He's going to punish me. He's got to be upset with me. And we start running further from God because we think if he finds me, he's going to let me have it. And the truth is what you see all throughout Scripture and spe specifically in this story, God pursues us. He disciplines us to restore us to turn us back to God. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want us to miss out on the life that he's called us to. He loves us too much to let us continue to run away from him. Now, sometimes his discipline is letting us run in the first place because like last week with Elijah in that story, we saw that when we follow worthless idols, when we look to something besides God for our meaning and purpose and significance and security and all those things, that they never satisfy. It's a dead end. They're fakes. They're imposters. They can't give us what we want. But God loves us so much that he'll let us figure out that there's a dead end because that's a part of him turning us back to him because it's not just that we can't get what we're looking for in idols, but it's also that we miss out on what God has for us. On the other side, it's not just, hey, you're never going to get it over here. He's saying, no, if you come back over here, this is where you'll find meaning, where you'll find purpose, where you'll find significance. This is where it happens. This is where you need to be. This is what God is calling us to. So he, he comes after us. He comes after us with his hand of discipline as a loving father sometimes to turn our hearts back to him so that we don't miss out. And Jonah, as he's in the belly of the fish, he prays this prayer in chapter 2. And in that prayer, it seems like Jonah's coming to that realization. Like, I thought God was going to kill me. When, I, when, when the storm happened, you know that's what Jonah thought, man. Oh, man, I'm in for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drown. And then he gets in the water and he's swallowed by a fish. He's like, well, I, I didn't think it could get worse, but it just did. Now I'm going to 
I'm going to be eaten by a fish and die that way. He thinks God's out to get him, but somewhere in the belly of the fish, as he's surviving, he realizes, oh, wait, God, was, God has a different plan here. If you look at his prayer in Jonah chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Hey, God, I'm down here in the depths, but I feel like you're going to let me out of here. I feel like I'm going to have a chance to go back and worship you again. Verse 5, the water's closing over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. You still heard me, God. In verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You worship idols, you never find what you're looking for, and you miss out on what God has for you. Jonah recognizes that, that this discipline, this pursuit of God was not to destroy him, it was to rescue him. Guys, that is so important for us to get. The sooner you get that truth, the more your, more your life will make sense. And we say that a lot around here because these truths are so foundational. But the earlier in your life you get that when you stray away, God sends his hand of discipline to pull you back to where you're supposed to be because that's what's best for you, the more it'll make sense. If, if you're a student in here and you sometimes stray and you sometimes disobey like all of us do and your parents come in with discipline for you, it's because God has appointed your parents to give you that discipline to turn you back to the way that you need to go, to turn you back to the place that you need to be so you can thank God and thank your parents for their discipline. I know, I know, I'm getting crazy here, but you could. And the sooner you get this, that this is God leading us back, he's pulling us back, he's calling us back, this will make sense. Especially when you get to that place where you realize, I walked away from what God wanted me to do, and I decided to pursue and value these things that they don't really give me what I want. But not just that I'm losing out and missing out, but it's actually been worse for me since then. I walked away from him, and this hasn't gone well for me at all. This has brought more pain and more trauma and more suffering in my life because I walked away from him. And in that moment, you can keep running or you can say, oh, God's pursuing me here. This, the way this isn't working out is God's discipline because God loves me enough to not let me stay here. He wants to pull me back to where I need to be, where life will make sense, where life will find meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Listen to this quote by Richard Phillips about this ex- come realization that Jonah's coming to here. Richard Phillips in his commentary on Jonah said, Jonah now realized that God sent him into the deep darkness, into the great fish, not to destroy him, but to save him. That's it. He realized that this whole thing was not to destroy him, but God's path and plan to save him. And look at what he says here. Do you recognize God's saving purpose as you ponder his providence in your life? God is not destroying you in your trials. The Lord is saving you. He's restoring you from sinful rebellion, from foolish self-reliance, from ignorant pride, from unbelieving stubbornness to which all of us are natively prone in our fallen condition so that you learn and I learn to turn to him for grace. That's why he brings those things. That's why when we run, when we, when we stray, God will bring things against us, his discipline, because he wants to turn our hearts back to him. He wants us to rely on him. He wants us to look to him for grace. It's not to destroy us, it's to save us. And the sooner you recognize that, the sooner you get it, the sooner it makes sense. So Jonah 
he's praying this prayer. Verse 9, he says, but, with, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's recognizing, God, you've rescued me. You've saved me. This is totally unexpected here. And because I made a vow to be your prophet and speak for you, I'll do it. I know I didn't do it. That's what got me here. And now I'm, I will do it. What I vowed to you, I will, I will pay. And so verse 10 says, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. <laughs> but just a reminder, there are consequences with our sin and our misbehavior. Like, God will restore us, but sometimes we got stuff kind of lingering on us that we've still got to get cleaned up a little bit. Like, there's some consequences to our disobedience. And for Jonah, he became fish puke. And it's okay. God's still restoring. God's God will clean us up. God, God will make things right eventually, but there are sometimes the consequences that come when we, we stray away, that we just have to trust God with those as well. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. This is a repeat of chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. He gave him that commission in verse 1, chapter 1, and Jonah ran the other way. He directly disobeyed the command of God. And then he has this moment where he realizes what he's done. He confesses. He humbles himself. He gets spit out. And God says, Okay, get up. Go to Nineveh. Same story, same message, same same opportunity. And what is the story teaching us? It's teaching us that God gives second chances abundantly. God gives second chances without limit. No, there's no limit to his supply. It's unlimited. He's constantly throughout his scripture giving second chances to people who mess up. You, you, need, to, you need to see the Bible in a lot of different ways, but that's one of the ways you can see the Bible. Story after story of people who mess up, fall short, don't do what they're supposed to do, and God continually coming back, restoring them, and giving them another chance, another opportunity. God gives second chances abundantly. He's constantly doing that, which is another one of these truths. You've got to grab a hold of it, because when you disobey, when you walk away, when you know that you have walked away from what God wanted you to do, and you've been running, and you know he's restoring you, there's still this voice that says, yeah, but I really messed it up this time. I know I won't ever be able to do what God wanted me to do. That's not the gospel. The gospel tells us that Jesus has forgiven us. And when we humble ourselves and turn away from our sin and confess our sin, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and wipe the slate clean and give us a brand new start. That's what he does. He's the God of second chances over and over and over and over again. Second chance, third chance, fifth chance, 147th chance. He continually gives us these chances. He's restoring Jonah, and he's given the same opportunity to get right back in the game. That's what he does. This quote by another theologian, I don't know him, but I know his name is great, O. Palmer Robertson. I bet his friends had that, a great time with that. O. Palmer Robertson, that's him. Listen to what he says. God forgets and never holds this thing against you. I'm going to read it again. God forgets 
and never holds the thing against you. Think of how wonderful are the implications of that one fact for your life. God simply does not hold grudges against people who humble themselves and ask his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's not who he does. What he does, that's not who he is. He doesn't hold grudges. You mess up, you turn back away from it, you confess, you repent, you humble yourself, and God says, slate's wiped wipe clean, let's go. Jonah directly disobeyed a commandment of God. He, he quit, he got on a boat, he's going the opposite direction. He's done with God and done with God's people. God pursues him, restores him, brings him back, wipes the slate clean, and gives him a whole new opportunity. Our God is the God of second chances. Get that in your head. When, you, when you're running and you know that you've been running and you've been disobeying, <laughs> don't believe the lie that God's done with you because he's not. He's constantly pursuing us, wants to restore us because he's going to give you another chance. He gives all of us other chances because of the gospel, because of Jesus. So Jonah gets up, verse 3, he arose and went to Nineveh. Hey, good decision, Jonah, good job, according to the word of the Lord. And he goes into Nineveh, and he begins to walk through the city. It's a pretty big city. He begins to walk through the city, and he begins to proclaim the message that God told him to proclaim, which is pretty simple. It's a doom and destruction message. It's like, hey, your wickedness, all the evil has come up before the Lord, and in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. This city's going to be destroyed because God's sick and tired of your wickedness, and he's going to destroy it. And then something crazy happens. Because this wicked people, these evil people, these people that don't care at all about others and, and God and for sure, they, they listened and they believed him. It says they believed God when Jonah was proclaiming that message. And the, the people in the city, they begin to repent. They begin to cry out to God. They, they went into mourning. They went into fasting. In fact, the king heard about it, and the king told everybody in the city, put on sackcloth, put sackcloth on your animals, and let's, no, no more food, no more water. Let's just pray. Let's cry out. Let's call out to the God of this Jonah, and maybe if he sees that we're repentant, maybe he will, he will spare us. The Bible says 120,000 people, at least that many in the city, 120,000 people, and they all repent at the message of Jonah. Hey, God's going to destroy the city. 40 days. And they're like, please, God, don't do it. And after this huge repentance, God relents. God spares them. He, he decides not to do it. They, they've repented. They've turned away from their wickedness, their evil ways. And God says, I'm not going to destroy them. Now, if we were right at the beginning... That Jonah didn't go, he ran away because he was afraid of what they were going to do to him, or he was worried that it wasn't going to work, then here's how the story would end. And Jonah went home rejoicing. And this is probably maybe the most significant revival in the history of the world. At least 120,000 people have all repented, have all confessed their sin, and they've been spared by God. 120,000 people. This is a huge revival. This is the kind of thing that Billy Graham would be envious of Jonah right now. Like, this is a big deal. And if this was why Jonah didn't want to go because he was afraid it wasn't going to work or they were going to hurt him, then he's, he's going home telling an amazing story. Look what God did. But that's not how the story ends. Chapter 4, it has a shock, shocking turn. 
Verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He's angry at God. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. This is why I ran. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. What? Jonah tells us really clearly now in chapter 4 why he ran. And he ran because he hates the Ninevites. He ran because what he wants more than anything is to see them wiped off the planet and destroyed by God. He hates them so much, he wants no mercy, no grace. He hates them so much that he takes something amazing about God, that God revealed himself to Moses as the God who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and Jonah turns it against God. You can almost hear the, the tone of his voice. God, I knew you couldn't be trusted because you're so gracious, you're so merciful. I knew I couldn't trust you to wipe out the Ninevites. Why? Because you're slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love. He's taking some of the, one of the greatest things about God and turning against him. God, I knew you wouldn't come through with your promise to destroy my enemies. And he's angry with God about it. He reveals his heart. And it's shocking because of what just happened in Jonah's life. It's like, what are you doing? Jonah, you just received mercy and grace. God was slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love because you disobeyed him. You ran from him. Remember, you did that? Like, that's what you were doing. You ran from God, and he was patient with you and merciful and gracious, and he restored you and gave you a second chance. And now you're mad because he's not wiping out these people? you go, what's going on? Did he forget? You know he didn't forget. That just happened. He still smells like fish vomit. That didn't, he didn't forget the grace of God. No, here's what's happening. It's, it just seems very clear. Jonah's decided that he was deserving of God's grace and mercy, and they weren't. Because they were too evil. They were too wicked. So somehow Jonah's figured out, like, no, I mean, I'm part of the people of God. I'm a prophet. Look at what I've done. Look at the heritage that I have. Look at my family background, all the things. And so I'm more deserving of God's grace and mercy. And these Ninevites, they don't have that. They're not, they don't even know you. They're wicked. They're evil. And they don't deserve that grace and mercy. And here's the truth that God's trying to teach Jonah, and he's trying to teach all of us all the time. God gives mercy and grace as an unearned free gift. God gives his mercy and his grace to us, for us, through Jesus. And it's unearned. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. None of us deserve it. None of us ever will. For whatever reason, Jonah thinks because of some background, he's more deserving of God's grace than the Ninevites. And so he wants them wiped out. They don't deserve it. They, they don't get that. He's missed the point. No, because of Jesus, we know that God gives mercy and grace, and we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a free gift that he gives us because he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, so much so that he sent his son to die on a cross to take our place so that he would punish him instead of us. And we've got to understand that this, none of us, none of us have earned that. So, 
Let me ask you a personal question. I know there's a lot of people in the room, so it kind of feels weird to ask personal questions, right? But you don't have to answer out loud. It's just between you and me, really. (laughs) Who is it in your life that you feel like they don't deserve mercy and grace? Maybe it's someone specific. Maybe it's someone generally. Like you read the headlines that I read and you see all the evil, you see all the wickedness, you see people that their worldview is very, very far away from the worldview of the Bible and the things that they're doing. You know it's evil, you know it's wicked, and you're like, man, these people deserve to be punished, they deserve judgment. And, and somehow we start categorizing them as people that don't deserve mercy and grace. Maybe it's generally some people that believe a certain way. Maybe it's someone that's hurt you. Maybe it's someone that's wronged you. And you're like, maybe you haven't ever said it out loud like Jonah, but you kind of feel that way. They don't deserve mercy and grace. Maybe you have a long list of reasons why they don't deserve it. Maybe you could go on for hours. Oh, and they did this, and they did this, and they do that, and they do that. And you got like a scroll, and it just kind of unroll and come all the way down the aisle. Like, it's a big old list of reasons. And you're like, they don't deserve it. Who is that for you? Let me tell you something. You're right. They don't deserve any mercy, and they don't deserve any grace. For all the things that they've done. And neither do you. Neither do I. We have all, like sheep, gone astray. Each of us to our own way. But God, because of his mercy, because of his grace, has chased us down and restored us. Not because of anything we've done. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. Because he's merciful. He's gracious. He restores us. And when you get the gospel, then it'll become easier for you to show grace and mercy to other people that don't deserve it. Because you'll realize and remember, Jonah forgot, that you and I don't deserve it either. Man, that's an important lesson to get. Uh, The story goes on, and Jonah's still mad, and he turns his anger into like a a little temper tantrum. He goes up and finds a mountain, like a hill where he can see the city, and he sits down, makes a little shelter because it's really, really hot, and the sun's beating down on him, and he's going to just watch and hope that God will come through and destroy the people. He's just sitting out there watching. Surely, God, you'll destroy them, please. And God does something crazy because he makes a plant grow up in one day and it provides shade for Jonah. It's the only time in the whole book of Jonah that Jonah's happy about anything. It's like, finally, I got some shade. I can watch the destruction of Nineveh in the, in the comfort of the shade. God makes this plant grow up in one day. And then the next day, God appoints a worm and the worm eats the plant and it's gone. And then Jonah gets mad all over again. <laughs> and God says, hey, are you sure it's okay for you to be mad about that plant? So I was like, yes, I can be mad about the plant. And God's like, okay. You know, you didn't do anything to make that plant grow. You didn't, you didn't water it, you didn't plant it, you didn't, nothing. Not one, of that, not one thing about that plant was your doing. And you're so mad about it. Do you think it's okay that I would be concerned about 120,000 people that don't know right from left? that don't know good from right from wrong, that I would be okay with sparing them because they repented? You think it's okay? I mean, they got, also have a lot of animals. You think it's okay? And then my, God has this mic drop moment because that's how the whole story ends. It's this reminder of our God uses our mistakes to patiently teach us. 
He takes our mistakes and our failures, and he doesn't put them back in our face. He just tries to teach us a better way, to show us the truth, to show us a better way. He's like, Jonah, why are you so mad about the plant? I'm concerned about 120,000 people and sparing their life, and you're mad at me about that? You're mad at me about the plant? Jonah, you got some issues here, and God's patiently teaching him, way more patient than any of us have been. We kicked him off the mountain. He's patiently teaching. Jonah's problems are, there's so many you could name. Like, he's, he's, he's self-righteous. He's an idolater himself. And a man in the core, he's just self-centered. And self-centered people, they are always complaining about something. You can't make self-centered people happy. It's all about them all the time. And Jonah's all, he's only happy if something good has happened to him. If anything goes the way he doesn't want it to go, he's upset. So self-centered. And God is patiently teaching all of us that are self-centered. All of us that are self-righteous. All of us that follow after idols. He patiently restores us. He patiently is teaching us all the time. We don't know who wrote the book of Jonah. Scholars disagree about that. We don't know for sure. It doesn't, doesn't ever name, isn't ever given. Have you ever thought about this? It'd be really cool if Jonah wrote it. Because at the end of the story, Jonah's not a good guy. Hey, I mean, there's nothing about him that says, yeah, do this. Be like that guy. No, you want to go the opposite way. So what if Jonah wrote it later to show everybody how all the mistakes he made because he finally did learn from God and he wanted everybody to know this is not the way you need to go? What if that was the story? That'd be pretty cool. But the reality is that as bad of as an example of Jonah is, and it's very clear, don't do this. Don't run from God. Don't. We need more than bad examples. We need more than good examples. What we really need is Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus connects what he's doing to the Jonah story in, in just a, a really, really helpful way. In verse 38, then some, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. We want, do a miracle. Do some tricks. He answered, Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. One of the biggest understatements of the Bible, that Jesus is better than Jonah. That Jesus is the true and better Jonah. He's the Jonah we wanted. Jonah was thrown overboard, and they thought he was dead, and it, it, it provided salvation. It saved the guys on the boat. Jesus, it wasn't just thought he was dead. He died on a cross. He really did die on a cross to provide salvation for the world. Jonah's in the belly of the fish, presumed dead. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he comes back to life. He is the true and better Jonah. He's who we need to look to. And when you understand who Jesus is and what he's done, it frees you up to trust God, to not run away from him. And when you do run, to turn back quickly and let him restore you and give you that second chance so that you know that you didn't deserve that, you didn't earn that, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, we all get a fresh start every single day. This morning, some of you, this morning, you need a fresh start from just stuff that happened before you got here. You need a fresh start from what happened this last week. You, you need his mercies to be new every single day. I need that as well. And because of Jesus, he offers it to us. Let's thank him for that. Would you pray with me? 
God, thank you for the stories that show us who you are, your character, your mighty works, these amazing stories. Help us, God, as we see more of you and learn more about you to not just hear these stories, but help us help it to change us. Help us to be hearers and doers of your word. And God, help us when we run to trust you enough to, to come back, knowing that you restore us, knowing that you give us an unlimited supply of second chances. And God, thank you for that, that you made possible because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.